You are listening to Level Per Gaming Podcast. The extra episode for this week is the Cortex Prime System. Our listener, Chris, graciously offered to provide his thoughts and details on the Cortex Prime System. He does an excellent job in describing the system, and we appreciate his input during this week. If you'd like to participate in the discussion or leave us feedback, you can contact us at levelupyourgamingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash levelupyourgaming. If you like the content and want to hear more of the show, subscribe and we'll ensure you don't miss an episode. New episodes come out almost every Wednesday. Also, please review, tell a friend about the podcast, or share with your gaming group. Now sit back and enjoy the episode. You're listening to Level Up Your Gaming. I am your guest contributor, Christopher, giving a report on the Cortex Prime role-playing game system, because sometimes leveling up your gaming is finding a cool system. Cortex Prime is available from www.cortexrpg.com. Uh, you can purchase it as a PDF. You can also get hard copies of the rules at that website. It came out last year. Uh, I want to say middle of the year or thereabouts. It's a toolkit rather than a specific rule system. So rather than provide a specific set of mechanics for you to use, it provides a template for you to create mechanics to fill out your setting. It is very good at being setting agnostic in a way that a lot of games that claim to be universal role-playing uh, systems are not. You truly could run anything from high fantasy to low fantasy a la Fritz Leiber to uh, science fiction to current noir fiction. I mean, if you wanted to play, you know, Mitzi the Vampire Slayer or otherwise known as uh, teenage socialite girls by day, world-saving superheroes by night, you absolutely could do that using the toolkit that's available to you in Cortex Prime. And the way they do this is that characters are broken down into sets of what they call traits. Traits being the generic term for something that has a dice value assigned to it. And I'll get to the dice pools and how they work in a little bit. But essentially, what they recommend is that for any given setting, you have from three to six of these trait sets. And I'll talk about what some of those might be uh, as we go. But the idea is that you have a unified set of abilities or skills or roles, depending on how you want to create your world. And each of these are connected so that you would choose only one of them to add to your dice pool. So as a for instance, uh, the, usual the usual setting will include something called distinctive features which are sort of like fate's aspects, for those of you who are familiar with aspects, in that they are statements about the character that define basic things about them. So, for instance, in my Nazis on a Boat game that I ran with my family back in Christmas of 2020, um, one of our characters, uh, one of her 
distinctive features was very wealthy socialite. And so when, when she was attempting to do things wherein her presence in the wealthy socialite role would be useful, such as knowing the upper crust people on her cruise ship or having access to the etiquette or resources to do something that involved wealth, she would choose that distinctive feature as the uh, as what would power the dice mechanic. So the way the uh, dice pools work in the game is for each set of traits, and as I said, there are generally three to six of them, you will choose one uh, member of that set and use the dice value that's associated with it. And these range from D4, D6, D8, D10, D12. So, for instance, the rich socialite's distinctive feature of wealthy socialite was rated at a D10. So, for any task involving that, the contribution to her dice pool from wealthy socialite would be a 10-sided die. In this game, once you've assembled your dice pool, you roll them, and you take the top two. And there's a lot of uh, details about what to do about ones, and there are ways to influence uh, the dice pool so that you have either more dice, or you can sometimes choose more than one trait from a specific trait set with the use of what are called plot points, which I'll talk about more later. Many settings have a trait set that would be called abilities. These would correspond to your basic physical traits. So it could be anything from the simple physical, mental, social, which is often the default in the core rulebook examples, and what I used for my Nazis on a Boat game, to you could reproduce the stats from pretty much any game. If you wanted, you could have your abilities be strength, dex, con, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma from a certain highly overrated game that's been around almost as long as I have and really has not improved with age. Sorry, that's editorial com content. Uh, do with it what you like, Aaron and Jared. The characters may also have a trait set called skills, or alternately, roles, depending on how fine-grained you like your resolution. So, you could have a skills set that they recommend, and I think this is fair, because I've done a couple different sizes, uh, that they would suggest you have something on the order of 15 to 25 skills in a skill set. So, that would be things like your unarmed combat, your science, your demon lore, your mecha operation, depending on what setting you're operating in. Or, if you want a simpler alternative that is absolutely appropriate for some genre, instead of skills, you could use roles. Roles would be something like the positions on a starship crew. If you wanted to run a campaign in, for instance, the Star Trek universe, uh, you might have roles of, oh, let's see, navigation, security, engineering, medicine, uh, science... I could probably, if I actually were interested in running a Star Trek game, I could probably come up with seven to eight roles. And then all characters would have die values associated with the roles that are reflective of their training. 
some campaigns, it would be appropriate for characters to have a set of values. Uh, one of the setting examples they used, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, had uh, the seven deadly sins as the possible entries in this trait set uh, values. So that's things like envy, greed, sloth, lust, wrath. Ah. <sighs> uh. I'm not a good Catholic, so I don't remember the other two, but some of you will be able to fill that in. I got the important one. And you would do this if you want to emphasize the character's motivations and how the motivations might be reducible to a value set. Or, instead of the seven deadly sins, you might have something like justice, mercy, uh, power, glory. Oh, I can't remember what the values I used for... Uh, the Nazis on a boat, I'd have to go look that up. But anyway, that's sort of the idea behind values. It is possible to use this toolkit to create either high magic or superpowers games. And you can do this in a couple of different ways. You can have what are called power sets, which is essentially a unified theme around various powers that you would use to uh, bend the rules. And you can have something called special effects, which in the book is abbreviated SFX. And these are ways of bending the rules when using certain skills or under certain circumstances. They allow you to modify the dice pool in various and sundry ways. It's pretty cool because it's pretty customizable. So, for instance, if I wanted in a superpower game, if I wanted to create somebody with the ability to alter people's feelings, a la the mule from the foundation, what I might do is create a special effect for the uh, persuasion skill, such that for the use of a plot point and maybe some other cost, uh, I'm able to add to persuasion roles by use of this power, uh, you know, my, my uh, influence emotions power. And it's up to the game master and the players to work out how individual power sets would work. I've mentioned on a couple of occasions the currency of the game, which is called plot points. Obviously, you could come up with your own name for a particular setting. It could be karma, it could be fate, it could be whatever. But plot points is the generic term. Plot points are also used to break the rules of the uh, system by allowing you to add extra dice to your dice pool or modify the size of the dice in the dice pool. Players get plot points when the GM screws them over. Players spend plot points when they want to achieve something or make sure that their roles are more powerful. The GM may or may not have a finite stock of plot points depending on which of several different systems the GM chooses to use for plot point allocation for uh, the GM's characters. You can run it pretty much like standard fate, in which case the GM also starts out with a limited pool. You can simply say that the GM may add fate point or plot points into the game by distributing them to the characters as and when it seems appropriate. There is also a really cool mechanism called a doom pool, which is... Uh, it's a different take on the way plot points are allocated from standard fate points in that 
when a player character, well, when a player rolls dice, if any of them show up to be a one, um, that's called a, what's it called? A failure or something like that. And uh, that die cannot be used to uh, influence or rather to add to the total. And the GM may, at their discretion, use that as an excuse to create a yes, yes, you succeeded, but here's another problem coming down the pike, or something of that sort. In the doom pool mechanism, instead of using the point right away, the GM might get to add a die to this pool of dice that they keep aside and can use, that can add in arbitrarily, hopefully with some sort of narrative justification, to any GM's role. And then once used, they're gone. There's another way of doing Doom Pools, which is actually one of my favorite things, which is it, it reflects either the sort of darkness of the world, and thus can increase over time if you like to ratchet up the tension, or can be used to reflect specific environmental or circumstantial situations. So, for instance, the example they give is uh, a fire that the player characters have to interact with. And the GM may, at their discretion, add a die from the fire doom pool uh, into a role if the fire would cause problems for the character. Say the character is attempting to quickly search a building that's on fire. Well, uh, the, you know, certainly the fire is going to interfere, so the game master could add one or more dice from the fire pool. And then if the characters are engaged, or if... Well, yes, if the characters are engaged in trying to uh, suppress the fire or put the fire out, they're going to roll against the entire pool, and successes will either reduce the size of the dice in the pool until they are eliminated, or if they fail, then the fire grows and uh, adds more dice or ups its dice, and then that becomes more of a problem for the characters. It's an elegant mechanic. I like it a lot. I've used it several times in different ways. I think, ultimately, Cortex is one of the really nice ways to level up your gaming as a game master because of all of the flexibility in tool and tools that it gives you to marry mechanics and narrative storytelling. To be fair, uh, one, of the, one of the bigger cons... Uh, unless you're the sort of GM who likes a fairly high initial investment in your uh, creating your setting, uh, this is going to be more work than working with an established rule set. Uh, you have to decide, for instance, what are the trait sets that are going to function in my world? What are the default values for uh, those trait sets? How am I going to differentiate supernatural or superpowers? They give you examples, but they don't really give you best practices. So this is something you're going to have to learn as you go, or at least that's my sense of it. However, once all of that is accomplished, it's really easy to create what they call Game Master PCs, GM PCs, or equipment, or... Uh, things of that sort, or or these doom pools that might influence how the plot works. Because unless you're 
character in question is going to be a significant and ongoing presence, you can simply say, well, this is a three die six character. And that can be the pool that that character rolls for everything. I mean, you know, if you wanted to create a more detailed character portrait, obviously you could, but you don't have to. And in Cortex, more than in many other games, the concept of mooks are really easy. There's also, uh, because of the way skill contests work, which is essentially a press-your-luck competition, the players are rolling against a difficulty. That is, they have to achieve a role that is greater than or equal to a difficulty that is either set by the game master, according to guidelines that they provide, or uh, the game master will roll against them, even if the game master is simply creating the difficulty for, say, picking a lock. This seems unintuitive at first, but ultimately it makes for some really cool escalating mechanics because the players are constantly confronted with the choice of, do I try to beat the game master's role? Or do I accept the loss, in which case I get some narrative control on how the loss works? If the game master ends up having the higher role, then the game master gets to narrate. And in if the uh, contest is one that involves uh, physical harm or, or, or something like that, the character might even be, quote, taken out of the scene, unquote, and thus rendered unable to act for the remainder of that particular scene. My experience is that the mechanics disappear pretty quickly, once you've taught your players how to assemble dice pools and taught them about how you're going to use plot points. Obviously, the roles are still there, but it makes... The, the way the roles work make for a pretty exciting uh, progression of gameplay. That was our experience. My family absolutely adored the Nazis on a Boat three-episode story that I ran for them as our first introduction to the game. I enjoyed game-mastering it, both for what I prepared and for being able to uh, improvise on the fly pretty quickly. When I wanted to have no distractions for the confrontation between the PCs and their nemesis villain characters, uh, I was able to simply say that the NPCs had planted a bomb in the back half of the boat, and I was able to create a four-die-eight doom pool uh, that I could make use of any time I felt it was justified. And uh, that led to some interesting situations where, you know, the fact that the boat was listing and was no longer moving forward and thus was subject to the storm that, of course, had to be happening at that particular time, I was able to uh, have that become an influence very easily. It was also very easy to track the uh, ability of the ship's crew to do damage control so that uh, the situation changed over time. Now, for those of you who are fans of GM fudging in order to protect the characters from... Uh, untoward die rolls changing your story too much. <clears throat> Aaron, Jared. Um, they want you to roll in the open because obviously your players are competing against your die rolls directly. 
you wouldn't have to do this, but it would change the spirit of things a little bit. You'd have to decide whether that was sufficiently important to be a drawback. All in all, I think Cortex Prime is one of the best setting creation tools and then subsequently game running things I've run into in several years. I used to be a big fan of the Fate system. One of the reasons I stopped being a big fan of the Fate system was that in practice, the mechanics for how and when to use Fate points actually got in the way, at least in the groups that I was playing with, for creation of story because it simply was too intrusive and too meta. My experience with Cortex Prime is that the plot points, they're a little bit more restricted in their effect, and that restriction actually works to everyone's benefit because it is more obvious when a plot point can and should be used. And so it, it does not break immersion in the story. Again, this is my experience. Others may differ. The ability to customize the trait sets around your setting makes it very doable to create a unique experience for each setting. The trait sets you would create for a paranormal noir investigation game would be very different than those you would create for, you know, a game like The Expanse, uh, you know, near, well, mid-future science fiction involving a lot of spacecraft and uh, potential alien invasions and the like. If this gets put up on YouTube, then uh, I would encourage you to create your attribute sets in such a way that they will smash the hell out of that like button. Uh, I'll let Aaron and Jared provide any of the other meta information for this podcast. This is Christopher Bartlett. Thank you very much for your indulgence, and I hope this has provided some interesting information. We want to thank Chris again for providing his input on the Cortex Prime system. If you'd like to do something similar or have a subject that you want to muse on or write to us in about, let us know at uh, Gmail. Uh, we'll level up your gaming podcast at gmail.com or facebook.com slash level up your gaming. Uh, we'd be happy to have other listener participation in the future, uh, especially if you don't want to like start your own podcast or something. You just want to get your thoughts out there. Again, contact us about the, uh, the thing that you'd like to discuss about. Don't just record it out of nowhere. And uh, you know, we'll be happy to discuss it and give you maybe a spot in the coming episode. So anyways, we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode. Please subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate you listening. And thank you for everyone. Take care.